Welcome to New Covenant Church. You are listening to this week's message with Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. We started uh, this Faith Works series two weeks ago, and this whole series is based on the book of James. If you have your Bible with you this morning, you can go ahead and flip over to James chapter 1, or if you've got your uh, cell phone and your Bible there, you can click over to James chapter 1. We'll get there in just a moment. If you missed the initial message, I would encourage you to listen to it on our website or our Facebook page to see how faith worked miraculously in the life of Jesus' half-brother James. Understanding his personal testimony gives us additional insight and credibility to what he wrote in the rest of his letter to the church. The letter of James show us that faith works in our life for a purpose. Our initial faith in Jesus Christ brings us to salvation. And the theological word for that is justification or justification by faith. And then according to God's word, he makes us alive again, literally taking us from death to life and makes us into a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they have become a new creation. All things, all old things have passed away and everything has become new. This process is referred to as regeneration. The outworking or fruit of faith that the letter of James primarily focuses on is the faith that really gets to work. It functions in our day-to-day life. And the theological word for this uh, concept or the process of our faith in this way is called sanctification. God accomplishes all the work in justification and regeneration. There's nothing that we can do in that process uh, to make it happen. God does that work. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that we have to be born again to come to him. And that startled Nicodemus. It didn't make sense to him. And he questioned Jesus. He was like, how is that possible? How could I go back into my mother's womb as an adult man and be born again? But Jesus said to him that what is born of the flesh is flesh. But to come to him, we must be born of the Spirit. Think about these two concepts, the way that Jesus explained it to Nicodemus. How many of us participated in the process of our conception or birth? Not not one of us. It's not possible. It's just one of the many miraculous parts of God's creation. And in the same way that we can't do anything to be born in the flesh, there's nothing that we can do to earn or accomplish our salvation or rebirth in the Spirit. Yes, justification and regeneration happen by faith, but it is a trust and confidence that Jesus Christ is who He said He is, and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, He will accomplish it for us, simply because we ask Him to and because we trust Him to. The miraculous work of forgiving all of our sins and bringing us from death to life and making us into a new creation is all accomplished by Him. We can do nothing to make that happen. What I'm trying to make clear is there is a difference between justifying faith and regenerating faith and sanctifying faith. Sanctifying faith is faith that gets its hands dirty. 
God invites us to participate Him in the process of sanctification. It's a growing process, a maturing process, and it includes real work and real effort. It takes action on our part. It takes process. It takes sweat. It takes tears. And it takes the rest of our lives. The letter of James cries out that if we have justifying faith and regenerating faith, then we will absolutely have sanctifying faith. Faith that gets to work. Faith that bears fruit. Faith that can be seen on the outside. Faith that makes us different from everyone else. And as we continue this faith work series, we're going to look at different areas that we encounter in our life and how our faith can work in those circumstances. This morning, we're going to see how faith works in the middle of a trial by looking at the first eight verses in James. If you went there uh, or if you don't have a, a Bible with you, you can just look on the screen. This is in the Amplified Version. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve Hebrew tribes scattered abroad among the Gentiles in the dispersion. Greetings. Rejoice. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. Let's stop there for a minute. First of all, can we all agree that James is crazy? (laughs) What's he talking about? Consider it nothing but joy when you face trials. Be happy. Rejoice. This doesn't make any sense. But what we're going to see is that the letter uh, from James to the body of Christ is not the only place where the Bible or, or apostles encourage us. And even Jesus himself encourages us in this way. The first thing that we see in these few verses is that faith at work in the middle of a trial can give us the ability to go through the pain and the process with joy. I want you to keep that in mind as we continue. But while we're here, let's look at the definition of a couple words we just saw, the trial and the endurance. The word used here for trial is also used for test or temptation. It can be used to describe the trial of a person's integrity. In 1 Peter 4.12, Peter used the same word, urging believers not to be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It can also refer to trials or temptations that can be an occasion to sin, whether it arises from our own internal desires or from outward forces. Mark 14.38 says to watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Same word for the trial uh, used in this passage. The word used for endurance here can also be translated as patience or steadfastness. The state of being in a firm or unwavering situation, whether emotional, political, or personal. Stability is an important element of a settled life before God. So James is saying that the trials, tests, and temptations that we encounter are opportunities for us to put our faith to work. 
And that this spiritual exercise of our faith will produce endurance. It will produce patience. It will produce steadfastness that will give us a firm foundation. So no matter what comes against us, no matter what the circumstances, we can be firm and unwavering and have a peace in the middle of the storm. It absolutely doesn't mean it's going to be easy. We've never been promised in the Bible. Jesus Christ never promised. No apostle ever promised that our spiritual life and journey would be easy. Verse 4, And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom to guide him through a decision or circumstance, he is to ask of our benevolent God who gives to everyone generously and without rebuke or blame, and it will be given to him. Let endurance have its perfect result so that we can be perfect. I think that word perfect always throws us. I know it does me. We think, who who can be perfect? But the root word translated here uh, as perfect describes something that's complete, something that's whole or without blemish. It can also refer to someone who is blameless and has integrity. So when we allow God to work in us through the tests, trials and temptations that we face, it matures us. It produces endurance and in the process makes us more whole. That's why James says, as difficult as this life may be, when we can face these, that we can face these things with pure joy, because God is working all things together for good for those who love Him. And that's what Paul told us in Romans 8:28. To walk with God in this process is hard work. It isn't just a matter of mental assent. It is during these times that the rubber meets the road in our faith journey. One of the things that we can do during these times, or better said, one of the things that we have to do during these times is pray. James said, if we lack wisdom during these trials, ask God. Our God who gives good gifts generously and without blame or rebuke. How do we ask God for things? We pray. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's us talking to Him and listening to Him. And James continues this thought in verse 6. It says, But he must ask, again, pray for wisdom and faith without doubting God's willingness to help. For the one who doubts is like a billowing surge of the sea that is blown about and tossed by the wind. For such a person ought not to think or expect that he will receive anything at all from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable and restless in all his ways, in everything he thinks, feels, or decides. So there it is again. Ask God through prayer and in faith. In these eight verses, we see a mix of unseen faith and visible faith. Faith of the heart and faith that produces visible results. In those last few verses... When we ask and pray to God for wisdom and believe that He will not leave us alone and that He will give us wisdom in the middle of those circumstances, that's unseen faith. That's invisible faith where we are waiting on on Him, trusting Him to give us wisdom and guidance in that time. 
But when we go through a trial and put our faith in God and we endure and we pray and we seek Him and we continue to stand when all that we can do is stand and if somehow, some way, in the middle of it all, we're able to face it with joy, that faith is a shining light in the middle of darkness. That faith is visible peace and calm in the middle of the storm. That's a testimony to everyone around us. What James is describing in these first eight verses is our spiritual journey with Christ. At a high level, our spiritual journey can be defined in three stages. The first is that we put our faith in Christ Jesus. And this includes our salvation, that justifying faith and that regeneration or rebirth in Him. You could call it the honeymoon stage. When everything's good and we think the rest of our life is going to have no problems and it's all going to be easy. But the second phase or the second stage in this process is that we experience struggles and doubts. And these are the trials and tests and the temptations that we face. And the third stage is that once we have gone through that uh, or overcome that struggle, we come to a deeper faith in God. We have matured. We have increased our endurance. And we are more whole than we were when we walked into the storm. And you know what follows that third stage? Our spiritual journey and maturity in Christ continues with a lifelong process of stages two and three. Have you ever read the back of your shampoo bottle? Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Some people never get out of the shower because they don't know when to stop. But that's our spiritual journey. It's... It's the highs and lows of mountaintops and valleys. Mountaintops and valleys. Mountaintops and valleys. And Peter said, don't think it's strange. This is the way it works. This is the life calling of every believer. It's a lifelong process of going through the valleys to get to the mountaintop, but we'll never stay on the mountaintop because there's always another trip down back into the valley. And that may not sound comforting to you, but remember James's encouragement. Consider it nothing but joy, pure joy, because of the work that God is accomplishing in us through those trials. To suffer to have trials and tribulations is part of this world and all of our lives. Humanity suffers because we are fallen creatures living on this side of Eden. The Apostle Peter warned the saints that our Christian journey involves trials and persecutions and suffering. The things we experience in this world can destabilize us. An unexpected disappointment, serious illness, loss of loved ones, major life crises. These things can leave even the strongest Christians emotionally distressed and weakened. In the middle of these storms and trials, we might cry out like David did in Psalm 143.4. He said, My spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. In John 16.33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In this world you will have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. 
I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abiding. Jesus Christ Himself promised us that we will have tribulations and distress and suffering. And His encouragement is the same that James gave us. Be courageous. Be filled with joy. And there's many verses like this. Jesus also said in John 15:20 that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He's saying, do you think you're any better than I am? If I can't get out of this life without suffering, perfectly following the will of God, how do you expect to? And we know that Jesus was not immune to these trials and tests and suffering in this broken world. Jesus told the apostles in Matthew 26:38, "My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death." Jesus knows what it's like to go through pain and suffering. These tests and trials and sufferings and tribulations can come in many ways and forms and for many different reasons. And I think that as we face them, we all ask the same questions. Anybody know the first one? Why? Why, God? Why me? And where is this coming from? None of the answers that I'm going to give are in any particular order. But one of the reasons that we can face suffering is due to a consequence of our own sin. Sometimes we have no one to blame but ourselves for the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Have you ever gotten yourself into a mess? I know I have many, many times. And there was no one to blame but my stupidity. But even though it may be of our own doing, if we turn to God, He can still work in the middle of the mess that we created. And He can use it to mature us in our walk with Him. We also experience trials and suffering simply because we live in a fallen world. It was our sin in the Garden of Eden that brought death and sin to God's creation. Not by His will, but by our own. And many of the trials and sufferings that we experience in this world is due to that simple fact. There's also trials and attacks that come straight from the enemy. Satan attacked Job with God's permission and he also attacked Paul with a thorn in his flesh. And God's response was not to remove the attack, but to proclaim that his grace was sufficient in the middle of it. There's countless examples uh, that many of the trials and sufferings that we face come from attacks from the enemy. And finally, God can also send us tests that can try us, that He sends Himself. These tests and trials that come from God are not sent to harm us. They are for our good to mature us and draw us closer to Him. Just to give you one example of this kind of test is when God speaks to us. Every time He speaks to us, it is a test. An opportunity to step out in faith, believing the Word that He's given us. Every time He speaks to us, we either believe Him or we don't. And we walk in visible faith when we respond to His Word. Or we choose to walk away in unbelief and not respond to His Word. As we sang uh, earlier about the, the sea being split apart and the children of Israel walking through it, uh, I was just reminded of that story. And as I've been going through the Bible this year, I just recently uh, read that account again in Exodus. And what I was reminded of is that so often when we look back at these accounts, we focus on on that bright side. We're like, yes, he parted the sea and we walked right through. 
And Miriam literally wrote that song of praise on the other side after they'd crossed the Red Sea. But do you know what happened before the Red Sea parted? The children of Israel were crying out to Moses and crying out to God, You brought us here to die, to kill us. They looked and they saw the Egyptian army coming on their chariots and with their swords. And they got scared and their only reaction was to say, God, you brought us here to die. Why couldn't you have just left us in Egypt to die? Wouldn't that have been easier? We forget that part of the story. We forget that part of the account. And so many times we find ourselves in the middle of that trial, in the middle of a test, in the middle of suffering, and we cry out to God like David did, my soul faints within me. Why are you trying to kill me? And God says, I'm not. It's part of this world. It's part of the process You can face this with joy knowing that I'm with you in the midst of it and you're going to come out more whole, more perfect, more mature on the other side and closer to me than you've ever been. And then one day we'll be on that mountaintop again singing, Yay, God, look at the sea you parted for me. And we'll get to rejoice and enjoy that for a period. And then God's going to say, It's time to go back in the valley. And then we go on another mountaintop. And then we go back in the valley. And then we go back on another mountaintop. And that is what we call life on this earth. Just to be clear, walking in perfect obedience to God will not keep us from trials and suffering. We were not saved to live a life free from trouble or tests or suffering. Jesus was the perfect example of that. And he told us himself that we could expect the same as we follow God. But while God never promises us that we will have a life free of trials and suffering and pain, what he does promise us is that we will never have to go through this life alone. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He has promised that he will always be with us in the middle of anything. We may never get the answer to our why questions. We may never know which of those four reasons it was that brought that circumstance into our life, but that should never be our focus. James told us what to focus on. We're to focus on God and to look ahead with joy. Because regardless of where it came from, He is walking with us through those trials, through those tests, through those tribulations and suffering, and we will mature and increase in endurance and be made more whole with Him. So no matter what the source or root of these tests and trials or sufferings, we may face the answer. The answer will always be the same. Turn to God. Fall on Him. Trust Him. Wait on Him. Even when it seems like He's not speaking, don't turn away. I heard somebody say on the radio just the other day that um, his dad took him out at sunset and they were looking at the sunset. And he said, you know, look up in the sky and it was just a clear blue sky. And he said, what do you see? And he said, nothing. But they waited till the sunset and it got dark and the sky filled with stars. And he said, now what do you see? And he said, I, I see all the stars. And the dad said, son, the, the stars were always there. They never left. You just couldn't see them because of the light of the sun. Many times in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our suffering, we look around and we can't see God. 
There's times that we don't hear His voice and we don't know what He's doing in the middle of it. But He's still there. He's still present. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. And we're just called to keep standing, to keep hoping, to keep both our visible and inner invisible faith on Him and in Him. It's in these times that God can draw us closer to Him than we've ever been. And it's the lot of all of our lives. It's a spiritual journey that will continue as long as we live. And we are all called to go through this cycle over and over and over again. Remember the Apostle Peter's words, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. These three stages of our spiritual journey are not strange. They're not odd. It's not abnormal. You're not the only one going through this process. It's the process every Christian goes through. And God uses it to draw us closer to Him. James assured us that we could face every trial with nothing but joy. Pure joy. Because in it and through it, God is establishing us. He's putting us on a solid foundation and that we might be perfect and more whole in Him. Can I be just totally honest with you this morning? I don't like this. This isn't the way that I want faith to work. I remember uh, I've always uh, grown up in the church. I'm one of those that can say I I was in the church nine months before I was born. And I got saved and I, that justifying faith and that regenerating faith, I had that very early in, in my life. But I questioned it because I didn't think it worked. Because in my mind, for faith to work, it was supposed to be easy. I wasn't supposed to have any more problems. I wasn't supposed to struggle with sin. I wasn't supposed to have to try. Because if it worked, All of those things would be fixed. And because of my uh, immaturity and my lack of knowing how this process worked, I got saved, justified, regenerated over and over and over and over again. I can't tell you how many times I've asked Jesus into my heart because it didn't work. If it had worked, I wouldn't have still been having those problems. So I tried again and again and again and again. And eventually God matured me and showed me these truths to say, no, Chris, you're saved. You've been justified. You've been made new. You've been born again. But you're a baby. You're a baby in Christ. And you have to grow up. And you have to start working. You have to participate with me in this journey. You don't have to do step one and two again, but you've got to participate with me the rest of your life in this thing called faith. I'm reminded of when our daughters were born and they they were growing up. And again, they had no participation in their conception or birth. But once they arrived, they had to start participating with us in life to grow up and to mature. And I remember when they were just infants and they would lay on their belly and we would be trying to get them to roll over onto their back. And they didn't like being on their belly. They wanted to be on the back, but we wanted them to mature. We wanted them to get stronger because they need it. 
And so even though they would cry and though they didn't like it, we would put them on their belly and they would try to turn and they would just be crying and crying and they'd just be trying. And, you know, in that beginning time, we just let them try for a while and then turn them back over. Just, you know, it's like, okay, you, you tried. Good job. And we did that over and over. And the more they did it, they got stronger and stronger till one day they got that arm up far enough and they just plop over on their back. And me and Candy were just like, yay! Y'all, this is so good. You rolled over. It's a, yeah, you just throw a party. It's amazing. But they had to participate with us. And then they grow up more and have to learn to walk. And we hold their hand and we would walk with them and try to get their legs stronger. And they would stand at a table and just, you know, do this forever. You know, they're trying to walk, but they never take that step. They're just, you know, getting ready. And we're like, come on, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And when they take one of those steps and fall flat on their face, do we look at them and say, you're not my daughter anymore. Get out of this house. You failure. No, we pick them up and we love them and we say, come on, one more step. Come on, let's try again. You're okay. You're okay. And that's the process that we enter after that justifying and regenerating is we become a baby, an infant in Christ. And God says, okay, you're my son. You're my daughter. Now work with me. Participate with me. And it's a slow process. It's a long process with many ups and downs, with many mountaintops and valleys. But God's cheering us on. And when we fall on our face, He doesn't say, go back and get saved again. He says, it's okay, son. It's okay, daughter. Stand up and let's try again. You can do this. I'm still here. I'm with you. I will help you in this process. That's the work of sanctification. We participate with Him. Start participating with God in your sanctification. That's what I want, to walk, want you to walk away this morning with is an encouragement to start working with God in this maturing process. Read His Word, praying, listening, responding when you hear His voice. Do it consistently over time. Don't give up and try to do it with joy because in the middle of it, God is doing a work in you. It's a slow, long process. You will never finish it. It's going to go till the day you die. I was reminded of many, many years ago, I'd gotten considerably overweight. And it was a slow, long process. It took me about 10 years, and I was gaining like one to two pounds a year. Well, guess what? You don't really notice that. If you gain a pound in a year, that's pretty, pretty slow progress. But when you look back over 10 years and you've gained 20 pounds, it's like, wow, I gained one to two pounds every, every year to get to where I am today. And so how many of you have ever tried to start getting in shape? And so you start eating healthier and doing the right things and maybe even start exercising too. And you do it for three whole days. (laughs) And we stand on the scale and it's either the same or maybe you gain two pounds. And you're like, oh my gosh. And what do we all say? This doesn't work. I'm going to go back to what I was doing before because I know how that works. Well, it works. I gain one to two pounds every year. Well, how many of you know, even if it worked so slow that I only lost 
one to two pounds a year by making small, correct, good decisions that in 10 years I'd be back to where I wanted to be. That's how this maturing process works with God. We want immediate results. We want the whole world to change overnight. And we do this for three whole days. And then we cry out to God and say, this doesn't work. I'm going to go back to my bad habits, to my bad decisions, to the life that I know absolutely doesn't work. But when we make those small bad decisions, sometimes we make a bad decision and we don't get caught. Or it's just small enough that it doesn't seem to have an impact, but it does. And bad decision after bad decision after bad decision mounts up into results. And the opposite's true. One good decision after another good decision after another good decision in our maturing process with Christ grows into results. Good results. We start bearing fruit. It starts showing on the outside. You think about water boiling, it gets hotter and hotter one degree at a time. Eventually it'll start, start steaming. But when it goes from 211 degrees to 212 degrees, it starts to boil. And people will see you start to boil in your spiritual life. And we look from the outside in and think, oh, well, that just happened. They're an overnight success. They're an anomaly. Somehow, they, it, faith worked for them, but it doesn't work for me. No, that faith was working in their life over many, many, many years. And they were going up one degree at a time. And they got to 2.11 and they still kept working. And then they got to 2.12 and they started boiling in their faith. And even then, it's not over. Not until we die. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Whatever we are going through, regardless of the cause or reason, go to Jesus Christ this morning in confidence. He knows what you're going through. He experienced it Himself and trust that He's walking with you in the middle of your storm and you will come out more whole, more perfect, with more endurance, with steadfastness than you went in with. Because He's doing a work within you. But we can't give up. We have to participate with Him. For many, many years, and I, I wouldn't claim to not be there today, I was, I was a spoiled, rotten child that wanted to lay on the floor and throw a tantrum rather than stand up and do what God was calling me to do. And I just cried out and said, God, this doesn't work. And He said, son, get up and come with me. It's time to start growing up. It's time to, time to start maturing in me. Yeah, you can stay a baby in Christ the rest of your life. You are justified. You are regenerated. You are saved. You will go to heaven. But is that enough? Is that the way you want to live the rest of your life as a, as a baby? Or do you want to mature in Christ and walk with Him from this day till you die, till you go to Him as a mature adult bearing fruit and showing that you have both faith that works on the inside and faith, sanctifying faith that works on the outside. Will you bow your head with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank You. We thank You 
for your word. We thank you, God, for the work that you've done in our life. We, God, we give you all glory and all honor and all praise for justifying and regenerating faith. We would not be able to become your son or your daughter without it, Father. But if we have come to that faith, if we have repented of our sins, if we have uh, gone literally from death to life and been born again in the Spirit by your work, by your power, Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would encourage us to start working in our sanctification with you. Lord, that we would participate with you, that we would be encouraged this morning by the words of James, by the words of Jesus, by the words of Paul. Lord, that these trials, these struggles, these tribulations that we are going through are doing a good work in us, regardless of the source, regardless of why they're coming, Father. You can do a work in us to bring us to a place of maturity where we can have a faith that works, that's seen on the outside. Lord, give us the endurance to press on, to not give up, to go past day three to day four and five and beyond till the day we join you in heaven. Father, we give you all glory and all honor and all praise. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before we close in worship, you can stand up. We're going to close in worship. And Pastor Daryl's back there. Uh, if anyone has any prayer requests, but I just want to um, say one more thing before I, I step off. And that's um, if you would join me in praying and prayerfully considering uh, starting a fast in a few weeks with, with me and as a church. One way that our faith can get to work is through prayer and fasting. And fasting is just a time that we cut something out of our life to focus more on God. We can cut away part of this world from our life for a time as a sacrifice to help us focus more on Him. And so the message that I'm going to share with you on February uh, 20th is going to focus on prayer and fasting. That's a couple weeks away. But in the meantime, I wanted you to consider uh, praying with me about something that God might have you fast. And we're going to start that fast that morning with communion and we'll finish it on March 13, 20, March 13th, 21 days later by taking communion together. But be praying about what the Lord might have you fast. It could be uh, media, it could be TV, it could be a type of food or, or drink or desserts. And it could be just about anything, but whatever the Lord would put on your heart. And it should be something that you would notice. That you, that you fasted. You know, I'm not an airline pilot, so for me to say I'm not gonna pilot a plane for the next 21 days wouldn't be sacrificing much. You know, think about something that God would have you sacrifice that every time you think about that thing, it would turn your attention to Him and turn you to prayer. So we'll talk more about that on the 20th, but please be prayerfully considering that between now and then. And again, Pastor Gerald's back there to pray. Amanda's gonna close us in worship. Light of the world, you step down into darkness.
in Chris's message this morning, he talked about the mountaintops and the valleys. And the mountaintops and the valleys. Some of you have been yearning to get to a mountaintop. You want a victory in your life. And you're going to get it because you're spending time in the valley right now. When you get to the mountaintop, all it's good for is taking a picture. A beautiful view and something to put on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever. But you can't live there. There's nothing to sustain you there. There's not even food there. Nobody lives on the mountaintop. You go back to the valley to restore yourself, to get sustenance, to train, to live, to get stronger, to get ready to climb to the next mountaintop and get your next picture. Okay? So if you're not on the mountaintop, you're training. You're going to get there. There's going to be sustenance for you. All right. That's it. Go to newcovenantlandpasses.com or pick up one of these papers off the table outside. It has everything that we're doing this month, information about what it is, where we're doing it, what time it's going to be, all kinds of fun stuff happening to include this Wednesday night. Our This Marriage Group Potluck, if you're married, if you have a husband and wife, come over to Common Ground, 630 on Wednesday night. We're going to have potluck. Bring a little something to share, and the theme is something red or something white. Barbecue sauce is red. Alfredo sauce is white. Gravy can be white, okay? Frosting can be white. Just throwing out some hints there. Coffee at Common Ground, same building, Friday morning, 7 o'clock. Coffee in the fellowship, good time to meet your neighbors and people here at, at uh, New Covenant. And the men's breakfast is normally on the second Saturday, not this month. Due to scheduling conflicts, it's going to be on the 19th. If you come on the 12th, you're going to have to go get breakfast somewhere else. Come on the 19th and uh, have breakfast with the men. Lastly, during the month of February, we're doing a Connect class. If you missed it this morning, that's okay. You can catch up by doing it online. Come back 9 o'clock next Sunday morning, meet in the fellowship hall. Get to know us, let us get to know you. That's what a Connect class is about. Let me pray for you and get you out of here real quick. Father God, I thank you that the time we spend in the valleys is time we get to spend with you. And Father God, I thank you that it's that time that you're going to heal us, restore us, grow us, and strengthen us so that we will get to that mountaintop. We can sing your praises and show the world how good you are to us because you got us there. Father God, this week, show us who we're to talk to. Speak through us. Speak to us. Let everyone around us know that you are God and that you're here for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 